0: So we're seeing the rise of this debate about what is the definition of the word woke. Comes up a lot now as the new battle cry from the left saying that conservatives can't define woke. Well, I'll admit that many conservatives and many other Republicans use the word as a thing that their focus group tested consultants tell them to say. And I think that's a little bit disappointing. But I think the reality is, and I've defined it countless times, I'll do it again. Let's define it in neutral terms. And then we can actually talk about what's wrong with it and the culture of fear that it creates. Okay, So being woke refers, whoever's defining it from the left to right, to waking up to invisible societal injustices and then taking whatever action is required to address those injustices grounded generally in race, gender or sexual orientation or other injustices that are perceived to have an effect on race, gender or sexual orientation. That's how the proponents of wokeness would define it. That's how I think the opponents of wokeness ought to understand it. But I think the real, the real danger behind this is that it leaves us more divided in the end. We see one another as the products of our genetic attributes rather than on the basis of the content of our character and our contributions. But the other thing that it does is because it calls on human beings to do whatever is needed, including through culture, not just through government, but through the private sector or through their own private action to do whatever they need to correct for these alleged invisible injustices, it also creates a culture of fear in our country. And I think a big way you see this culture of fear play out is in corporate America, where if you're an economic actor, but you're called upon to address these invisible societal injustices, what do you use? You use the economic toolkit that's available to you. What does that mean? It means not just what the civil rights advocates want meant, once meant when the civil rights laws were passed, that you can't discriminate on the basis of race or sex or sexual orientation. But now it means something else altogether. It means that if you say something that a member of a protected class, for example, finds offensive, well, then you might be liable for a hostile work environment lawsuit. Well, what does that mean? That means if you're an employer and you don't fire someone who uh, created a hostile work environment, then you could be liable. What does that mean? You fire somebody who creates a hostile work environment. Well, how does one actually create a supposed hostile work environment? Today, it means it could just be expressing a viewpoint that's unpopular, To those held by others in the workplace. So what does that mean? It means we've created the very conditions for viewpoint discrimination while leaving viewpoints themselves unprotected as a category. And that's the real that's the real danger of the woke culture that we have not yet discussed in full. It is a threat to a free speech culture in this country. It says that certain ideas cannot be expressed because certain ideas are more protected legally, financially, economically than others. And I think that's a danger because free speech is itself is a precondition for truth. You know what? If we had a culture of free speech in this country, we would have gotten to certain answers more quickly than we otherwise did. You take the COVID lab leak. Well, a couple of years ago, you say it on social media that COVID-19 originated in a lab in China, you would have been censored. Your account would have been locked down. Your post on YouTube would have been removed. What do we now know two years later? COVID-19 likely originated in a lab in China. And had we known that sooner, we could have not only delivered accountability, but potentially even dealt with the problem sooner. But we didn't. People suffered, including the very people who we were supposedly protecting from racism or whatever, from this one-sided view. Well, Another example of that actually relates to the school closure debate. COVID school closures, COVID-19 related school closures in America. I don't think anybody can today with a straight face say that we don't regret what we did in this country in public schools across America by shutting down kids in K through 12, kids who were at a low risk, very low risk for either getting or even spreading COVID-19 and telling them that they couldn't show up in the classroom for over a year. We're not going to fix that. We're going to have a generation of, you guessed it, societal inequity as a consequence of the fact that kids in public schools versus kids in select private schools had a year apart in whether or not they were educated in the classroom. But you know what? You weren't allowed to talk about it. You weren't allowed to talk about it because of that culture of fear in America. And and today I'm joined by somebody who unfortunately learned that the hard way. From the front lines, somebody who was a successful executive in corporate America, somebody who worked her way up the ladder the way we're taught to in this country, that if you work hard and you're dedicated and you're earnest and you make contributions and you make a business grow that you'd be rewarded for it in our system of capitalism, did things the way you're taught to do them in this country, but in her capacity as a citizen, nonetheless expressed an opinion an opinion that was unpopular at the time, that these school closures were the wrong policies. As time has passed, an opinion that has actually aged really well, one that reminds us that we make mistakes when we censor free speech, but who lost her job for it? And she made a significant sacrifice for it, a sacrifice that many other Americans were unwilling to make. And her story will teach you why, as to why they were unwilling to make it. But what we're going to talk about today with with my guest and friend Jennifer Say is, not only what her experience was, but what it teaches us about a better way forward in our country. So, with that, Jennifer, I want to welcome you to the podcast and talk to you openly today about not only your experience, but hopefully what we can learn as a country about it and how we can be better going forward. That's actually why we're here.
1: Excellent. I'm excited to talk about it with you. Thanks for
0: having me. No, thank you for coming. I, I know um, you know you've been through a lot in the last couple of years. I know you. Uh, I think most of the people watching this might not, and it is the first time we're sitting down in person anyway. Tell me a little bit about what your journey was in, in climbing the corporate hierarchy that you were in, how you achieved success, and then what led it to all really fall apart.
1: Yeah. It did fall apart. Um, I worked at Levi Strauss and Company since 1999. It was not my first job, but certainly an early one. Um, How old were you when you joined? I was 29. Maybe I just turned 30.
0: Okay, so you had, you had some experience I, before then. In the I did.
1: Part. I'd worked at an advertising agency for three years. I worked at the Gap for three years, but then I found myself at Levi's, and I I loved it. You know, it was a product I'd worn since I was a child. Um, the brand it stands, I think, in most Americans' minds, and people. Around the world, it stands for rugged individualism and freedom, and kind of the best of what America represents. Yes, Levi's
0: jeans ads growing up—that's what I remember from it. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, I had you know uh, memories of Levi's that really meant that. I traveled to Moscow in 1986 as a as a gymnast representing uh, the national team, and I brought five hundred ones to trade with the Russian athletes. I mean, that's what Levi's so, so meant you to were me. A,
0: yeah, I didn't know that you were a national gymnast for the United States.
1: Yeah, I was on the national team for seven years. I was a national champion in 1986.
0: Really? Yeah. So, so does that mean like Olympics level?
1: Yes, and this will—I'll I'll come back to it because wow. it definitely factors it into actually the. Does,
0: it actually—it actually makes me even view your. You know, pursuit of excellence story through a different light. I didn't know that about you.
1: You know, you'll if I if I if I start with this briefly. I was a very outspoken in two thousand eight. I wrote my first book um, about the culture of abuse and cruelty mm-hmm. in gymnastics, and that was not a popular view. Oh, either. interesting. <laughs> so my like advocacy abuse,
0: like parent like what do you mean by uh, that? emotional, emotional physical, abuse, yeah. and
1: sexual abuse? So you
0: touched on that on in the, your book even.
1: Oh yeah, I was the first one to talk about oh, really? it. Really, I didn't know that. And I was. um Dragged across the internet, um, early days of social media. Didn't know what I was signing so up you for. Talk
0: about the sexual abuse issue back then. See, I didn't think that was in the public consciousness until much later. Wow it
1: it was. I mean, I was You're the too first. far ahead of your time. I was too uh, far ahead. It took about ten years, and I was redeemed uh, for about five minutes before I started my COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> open schools advocacy. Um, but it, it's an important lesson, and I think part of my journey because. I spoke the truth. I had lived this experience. I knew from the inside what the sport was like, but that was not a message that the powers that be wanted out there, not USA Gymnastics, not the US Olympic Committee, um, not the, you know, practitioners of the sport. You know, everybody was invested in this image of the sport as these shiny, happy little girls dancing around. And I sort of punctured that. And so all the same tactics that were, well, slightly different, but you know, I was a grifter and a liar and I was a not a good gymnast and all these things were used until the story could not be held back anymore because we had the case of Larry Nasser, which you're mm. probably somewhat familiar with, the, the doctor for Team USA Gymnastics who abused over 500 young athletes. So at that point, I was redeemed. But, um, you know, my, my advocacy for children goes back to that, um, and I know all the ways in which adults will sacrifice children to maintain, you know, a certain image um, in the sport of gymnastics. It was about money and medals, and they were perfectly willing to sacrifice young children to achieve that. And you know, children need our protection. They're least likely to speak up for themselves. They have, the, they don't have a platform. They can't vote. Um, they want to please the adults around them. I lived this, and so all of that was with me as I advocated for children during um, COVID. Uh, in terms of open schools. But essentially, professionally, I started at Levi's in 99. Um, I loved the brand. I wore the brand. It was always important for me to work in a place where I believed in the product. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to kind of lie and make that up. It wasn't an easy environment for women um, coming up in the 90s and 2000s. It was, um, you know, I'll just say it's a testament to how far we've come and changed. Say his- a little more about it.
0: Just, I wh- mean, it in was, what ways was that difficult?
1: It was a very um, male driven culture. You know, it wasn't uncommon to find yourself at a sales meeting batting away drunken advances from sales guys. None of that would be acceptable anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that's great. It's like
0: pre me too kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's great that it's changed. I think it's important that we note it. it's not the same as it ever was. Things have improved. You know, when I had my first baby in 2000, I have four children. I had my first in 2000. I came back after, you know, a handful of weeks. There was no, Rental leave. There was no maternity leave, and I think I had to pump in a closet with a curtain on it. You know, there was no <laughs> locked door. Like they just didn't. It just didn't matter, you know. And I, I certainly toiled in jobs. Um, far longer than many of my, my male peers. But I, you know, I, I found as I moved up, I had the opportunity to change the culture and create something that was more inclusive. So I'm not complaining about it. I'm sort of stating a fact. um, and I wanted to change it, you know? Uh, so I worked my way up the ladder, uh, mostly in marketing, but beyond that as well, I led e-commerce for a time. I was strategy, all sorts of stuff. And eventually in 2013, I became the chief marketing officer, which is a big, very public facing role. And I stepped into this role at a time when the brand and business were really floundering. I mean, we were near bankruptcy in 2011, this storied brand. But the CEO believed in me, put me in the role, and I helped – Bring us back from the depths. You know, I led, you know, we really reinvented the brand and reconnected with not just Americans, but fans all around the world. We IPO'd in 2019 successfully. And I eventually got promoted to brand president. So I then oversaw all product design, all of that stores. Um, but <laughs> in 2020, uh, from the get go, March, Right away, I was outspoken about the harms that would be done to children from prolonged school closures and other restrictions, uh, closed playgrounds. We had playgrounds closed for nine months in San Francisco, nine months. In the city, where do kids play? Where do they run? Where do they get out in the sunshine and get exercise if not at the playground? The masking of toddlers, two-year-olds, were the only country in the world that did that. Clearly harmful. You could see it with your own eyes and ears. These these children are learning to talk and connect. Mm-hmm. They can't put their shoes on. How are they going to yeah, wear have a, a Three year old.
0: You know. I get it. Yep.
1: You, I mean, they're in diapers. How are they going to? Even if it worked, how are they going to mask correctly? It's just <laughs> let so alone s-
0: let alone the fact that it wasn't working it, and, and it, it's nonsensical as a proposition. It,
1: exactly. Things we could see with our own eyes and ears were harmful. We sacrificed children. You know, and it was premised on a lie that there was no age stratification of risk that this wouldn't um, harm the most vulnerable among us children if we close the schools. Um, and I couldn't bear it. I, you know, I have children in public school, which made me unique. And
0: where were they at that point in time, like age-wise or grade-wise?
1: Uh, well one was in college um junior I think in college another in high school and then another starting kindergarten and another in preschool so I had Oh yeah, the full gamut. I got all of it. I can tell you what it was like for young adults, I can tell you what it was like for high schoolers and very young children. So this is
0: this is like, what, a couple of years ago when Yeah, yeah it was yeah, That's um, where they were. 2020. Right. That's where yeah. they
1: were. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't just my children I was thinking of, of obviously. Course, but you, had a perspective you know, I based was on thinking that. Yeah. my children were probably going to be okay. We had plenty of privilege to use the parlance of the day. We had strong Wi Fi, a parent at home to help. Um, but it's not hard to imagine that of the 50,000 public school students in San Francisco, 60% of whom are low income, that that was not the case. It mm-hmm. was not hard to imagine that some of them weren't getting food, that they were home alone, uh, they didn't have Wi Fi, that they just weren't learning at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why everybody couldn't see that. It didn't take much imagination. So I was outspoken. I didn't have much of a following on social media, but I built one because those who were willing to kind of speak out first, you know, were like a beacon. Lots of people weren't willing to say it. How
0: did you speak out? What was your modality? Um, was it just online or I was, was it on well TV? it was
1: it wasn't just online. I mean I started. It was I was active on Twitter. That's how you
0: started. Uh-huh. I,
1: yeah, well I started on Facebook and I left that because I just ended up arguing with like my it's family. Chamber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Um, so I moved to Twitter, which enabled me actually to connect with people, doctors who, you know, were sort of pushing back on the view. I asked questions incessantly that, I mean, that is the cool thing about Twitter, right? It's a good
0: platform for that. It's real dialogue. It's one of the few places we have it in this country. It's
1: pretty cool. I would reach out and they would explain things to me. They would explain studies to me, the few willing to speak out. But eventually I was on the local news and I started to lead rallies in San Francisco in the fall of 2020. And, um, I would attend school board meetings, uh, all of it. you know. I mean, I wasn't just a keyboard activist. I was really working to try to make a change. So you change. had your day job,
0: mostly working from home, it seemed at all that point. working time. from home. Okay. And so you did your Zoom meetings or whatever for Levi's. <laughs> all day. But then you would go to, and even going to those school board meetings were also virtual?
1: That was online okay. in the so evenings. Okay, so a lot of Zoom. Okay. So much Zoom. And so,
0: and so, and so you would just- you you. Weave some of that into the day and then Yeah. You know. I mean
1: I you know, I was in a global world, so I have no hours, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah right. I'm working from like 6 a.m. meeting with Europe, you know, 10 years. So 2020. Okay. Yeah. Um and I didn't really get any no one said anything until the fall of twenty twenty. And at this then? point I'm the brand president. In the fall of twenty twenty, a peer of mine in corporate communications called and said, People are noticing they don't like what you're saying. And I said So,
0: yeah, we have different opinions.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm not using my title. I don't even say I work at Levi's when I'm on the local news. I, in fact, tell them my, you know, say mom of four. That's it. That's all. And sometimes I would say, don't say I work at Levi's. And they say, oh, you do? Like no one even knew. It was like crazy. They were so worried about it. But employees were upset. You know, this very vocal, very punitive, um, a mob. I don't really have another word for it. We're complaining incessantly. There were people externally complaining about me and they don't like that kind of noise. And to your point, I don't know that hostile work environment was used, but that's the intimation is that I had these views that were um, racist, misogynist, um, because, you know, my definition of woke, which I think is very complimentary and, you know, the same as yours is it is. Sort of defining and reorganizing the world through the lens of oppressor versus oppressed.
0: That's about right. Yep.
1: You know, and you not really look not every not every issue can be defined that way. But if you start with that and back into it. (laughs) And so school closures for saying school should be open. I was a racist because I didn't care if black children died. That was the And that was creating a hostile work environment. Even though I said it outside of work, it had no bearing on my work, didn't matter. That was hostile because my words were literal violence, again, to further the point you were making. And if somebody, if your brand president is inflicting violence on the employee community, well, gosh, I guess you do need to get rid of them, you know. But that's a lie, as we know. Um, so I got the one call. She asked me to stop. Um, I, well, I said, are you telling me to stop? She said, I can't really do that. And I said, well, then I'm not going to. This is too important. You know, these children matter to me. It's not interfering with my work. Our business is recovering in a really strong way from lockdowns and store closures. So it's not impacting my work. Thank you for your call. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hang up now. And then I got one every two weeks for the next year and a half. You got what? A call like that every 2 weeks for the next year and a half from some member of the executive team or the board. Think oh, the board. A, it, one member of the board. The, who they assigned, I mean this is this is actually nutty. Yeah, they they gave him the task of calling me, I
0: suspect. <laughs> so so you were on the you're on the executive team of the company.
1: Here. Oh, top 2 members of the executive team. Okay.
0: So you're so like reporting I'm to the the CEO. I'm the president. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'm the obvious next in line for CEO provided I don't you know
0: screw and it. and, and did, did, when when they would make these phone calls to you which of the which of the effects did it have make you uh, less likely to want to keep speaking not change or actually tell you that it was important for you to actually be doing more of it
1: it told me it was important to do more and you know I'll tell yeah, you this back because the people calling me were sending their own children to in person private school so it just incensed me they were sitting here telling me i could not advocate for the same thing for low-income children in san francisco that their children had and they were doing this while taking all of these you know i'm denouncing my privilege stances because it's after the summer of 2020 right Right. and so every company in america denounced their privilege and said they were going to fight for um equality and through anti-racism and yet This policy was the opposite of that. And they were availing themselves of their privilege by sending their children. They weren't too scared to send their own kids to school. Right. And yet they're saying, you can't say this. You can't defend these 50,000 public school children in San Francisco and, you know, however many million across the country because people don't like it. Mm -hmm. So it strengthened my resolve. And I got more and more comfortable with each call saying, no, thank you. I I was always very
0: diplomatic. And what exactly would they say? Like, I want to just, I mean, there's like double click on, because people people hear about this idea of woke capitalism, of use of corporate force, cancel culture, but these are just words, right? You actually have an experience and you're unshackled to be able to talk about it. I think that's useful. I've had these experiences too and talked about them, but we're talking about yours today. What would that conversation, get as specific as you can, what would that conversation look like?
1: Generally, it went like this. (laughs) Jen, do you realize and understand when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company? No, I do not, is Mm -hmm. what I would say. I am a citizen. When I speak in my capacity as the Levi's brand president, when I speak in front of the company about the brand strategies or I go on X show to talk about, you know, the brand direction, then I speak in my capacity Mm -hmm. as brand president. Now I'm speaking as a mom of public school children and a children's advocate. Well, but you do. You are the face of the brand. You're the face of the company. And I said, but, I, but I'm but i not. So, and, and I'm not using my title. This matters to me too much. If you're saying this is a problem, then let's have this conversation. But I have no contract I've signed that says I cannot speak out about my views. I've done it in the past. They were just more aligned
0: with yours. Because it was, you wrote a book. <laughs> Yeah. About the gymnasts, I
1: wrote a book about abuse in gymnastics. Which, while it wasn't popular in the Olympic movement, it had
0: become popular by then for
1: the broader culture. Yep. People were like, "That's terrible! You can't abuse children." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not like
0: it's very interesting. When did you join? Levi's? But even my
1: politics, I had been outspoken. I joined in '99. So,
0: so, you wrote a book while you were at Levi's, 10 people, years and in. and that was because it was in a in a space that was per, that was not contradicting the cultural orthodoxy of the time was totally fine. But you had a this is a pretty interesting case, a demonstrated track record at Levi's of separating your voice as a citizen from your voice as a corporate executive. So this is not a new concept to them. Yeah, and I had— That's fascinating. I That's had also
1: spoken out about my politics. If anything, I was further left than, you know, the—was—than the the, was. <laughs> than the, than the executive team and the sort of culture at Levi's. Oh, really? What's well, an example? Oh, gosh, without embarrassing myself? Yeah, it's fine.
0: You embarrass yourself. You're not, because there's nothing to be embarrassed about. No, there's not, because yeah. you can change your mind. I exactly. I think that's fine.
1: I mean, I had, um, I supported um, Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I had. Um, and they mocked me for that. They're, oh, she's going to kill business. And I was like, oh, I think, you know. Yeah, so, so this
0: is back when, like in the 20-teens? Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, so you came out, you were a vocal yeah. proponent of Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. nobody
1: cared what I said, but yeah. yeah. Okay, but
0: you, you had, the point is you had an established... Pattern of speaking as a citizen. That's right, Jen and that, the citizen versus Jennifer Say the corporate executive, and that
1: was fine when it was in line with left wing orthodoxy. Window.
0: Within the yeah, exactly. You right. know,
1: and, and I'll just say it: when it was in line with when, when it fell with
0: specifically and yeah.
1: Democrats, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, it was fine then. Um, when it wasn't. Um, then it wasn't fine anymore. So it is clearly viewpoint discrimination, mm-hmm. right? You can uh, you can That's t- exactly what it is. I mean, there's no other word for it, right? And political speech is protected speech. I it's of note. I also I had no contract with the company.
0: I had nothing saying you can't well, talk you on social media. is protected speech. Political speech is protected speech in California, actually. Yeah. It's actually it actually isn't in much of the rest of the country, but you're in a you were you were in California, right? Yeah. So you're in a state. <laughs>
1: okay. So let me give you another good where example. Was actually
0: protected speech, and that's the irony.
1: Yeah. Here's another good example. <laughs> you ready for mm-hmm. this? Yeah. So it became more and more fraud. I kept getting these calls. You speak. You speak on behalf of the company. No, I don't. I'm a mom. I care about kids. Can are you telling me I have to stop? I would say they would say no. We can't do that. We're urging you. But then eventually, my boss, the CEO. Engaged me on the issue, and you know his suggestion or intimation was you could be CEO if you stop doing this.
0: Mm, use the carrot now. Y-
1: yes, exactly. Um, and I think it's true. I mean, I certainly was capable in delivering the results that would have put me on that path. I, th- I think by the time he was offering it, he was using it as the the carrot cudgel, to get me to stop, you know, and yeah. he was never going to because screen grabs live forever. But most of my uh, tweeting during this time, I was very focused on children. Like I didn't, I was opposed to lockdowns more broadly, but I felt like that was a third rail. I thought kids were something we could all get behind, right? Yes. Isn't that apolitical? a big
0: cost and benefit that you have to weigh? And the cost benefit was clearest. In the case of kids going back to school.
1: Exactly. Every once in a while, I veered slightly. At one point in 2021, I posted an article, no commentary, just a quote, about the recall election in California. Mm -hmm. You remember there was a recall of Governor Gavin Newsom. That I was told I really needed to take down. Uh, So talk about political speech. And the reason, they weren't even shy about it. I mean, I have the text in in my book. We have connections, the Haas family, majority Chair shareholders of Levi Strauss and company to the governor.
0: Unbelievable. That was the reason they did not want you to speak out against the governor is that the company itself had ties to the governor. So admitting a sort of crony capitalist, cronyist justification for the suppression of speech itself.
1: Just admitting it. And I mean, it is staggering. I mean, where, how far does this go? You know, um, there's a new uh, congressman, Dan Goldman, who I'm sure you know, in New York, District 10 in New York. He's an heir of the Levi Strauss fortune. He funded his campaign with the, you know, the wealth generated or from or the yourself. IPO. Yep, the so advice. so does does this mean if you're an employee in New York, you have to vote for him? Like, where do, how far does this go? What if you campaign for another one of the Democratic or God forbid Republican candidates. Can you not work at Levi's? We have employees in New York, and you know the argument that well, you are a high level executive. There's a different sort of standard. That's not a real argument. It's not a real argument, and I would sort I would push back pretty aggressively on that. If a well liked, beloved executive with influence in the company can't have an opinion.
0: What about somebody who actually has risk of being able to put food on the dinner table? Exactly. Totally right.
1: Exactly. So that's a – it's a bullshit answer. It really is.
0: It really is. You know.
1: Um, And and the whole thing just got noisier and noisier. And at one point in this journey, I – you know, parents like me who were advocating for open schools, we were shadow banned and blacklisted and not included in any of the stories. If you watch CNN or, or, you know, read the New York Times, it was – you know, the only view represented was open schoolers are racist and they don't care if children and teachers die. And so, you know, you had public health represented, you had teachers, unions, leaders, but you never had a parent Mm -hmm. who had a different view. So at a certain point in March of 21, I got a call from Laura Ingram's show Hmm. to come on and express this view. And she had Been right from the beginning on this. She was very outspoken. I think. I think she was.
0: I think you remember. I I think think you remember. As I remember, that sounds about right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was. I think as early as April 2020. She. I think she might have been the first national sort of news person pundit on on the schools issue. Yes, on schools specifically. So I went on. Why wouldn't I?
0: Yeah. Why not? I've done it countless times. It's (laughs) a national
1: platform. You know, And, and
0: also you can you can actually reach millions of people. With a viewpoint that challenges an orthodoxy, why is that not good in our country?
1: It it is good, and why do I have to agree with her on everything she's
0: ever said to go on her show? And good for her bringing an Elizabeth Warren one time supporter onto her show.
1: Yeah, exactly. So be it. So, um, that just blew everything up, as you might imagine, because now I had consorted with the enemy, um, and so the employees at this point being just Fox went News mad, or being not just on Fox but her. So okay. because I was now associated with. All of her views, which I didn't even know what they were. Um, It didn't matter. You know, I I had consorted with the enemy and now I was the enemy. I held all of her views. I was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I was all of these terrible things. And I was asked to prove that I was one of us, not one of them, in an apology tour in the summer of 2021 after the Ingram appearance.
0: What does that mean? What did that entail? (laughs)
1: You might ask why I agreed to it. I I agreed to it because I did not intend to apologize and I did not. I intended to explain myself. Um, It meant standing in front of a couple hundred employees virtually and explaining why I held these views so strongly and why I went on Fox. And I was uh, sent an email to prepare for it. And it literally said, you know, prove that you are one of us, not one of them.
0: One of us, you need, not one of them.
1: Yeah. You need to show that you are one of us, not one of them.
0: Who's them? What do you think they the meant? The
1: bad people. The yeah, bad- The other. Right, alt-right QAnon Trumpers. Mm-hmm. Prove that you are not one of them.
0: And what if you were one of them?
1: Well, that's a really good point. What if I was?
0: Yeah, what if, you're, do what I if not you are get to, like half the country?
1: Do I not get to have a job? Mm-hmm. Apparently. Apparently it's an HR violation to be a Republican. Which I wasn't even, but assumed yeah. to be one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In, in HR violation, not only be a Republican, but to appear to be mistaken for one. Okay.
1: Yeah. And to talk to somebody who so holds different then? views, so,
0: so you you went around, you explained yourself. I explained
1: myself.
0: I have to admit, even part of that makes me cringe. I'm sure it makes you cringe too.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: But you but you're a leader, and so so yeah.
1: And I had faith in my ability to communicate, yes, and, and, and
0: persuade and bring people along. And yeah. I
1: wasn't going to seem like some angry ranting lunatic. And and you have to. This was June of 21. People were starting to get a little frustrated because schools still had not opened in San Francisco. You said a year. Keep mind, this
0: isn't late 2020 anymore. It was
1: a year and a half. They didn't open until September of 21. Unbelievable. Unreal. So the view was, it was by no means embraced, but it was starting to get a little more traction, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It wasn't because of first principle. It was the fact that they had actually quietly started to potentially agree with you on the substance.
1: Yeah. And I mean- Yes, exactly. So, so, so I just so you explained. Went around, you
0: explained okay. I gave
1: my background, my history as a gymnast and child advocate in sport, um, explained You know, my understanding of, you know, how a child, if abused or enduring cruel circumstances, won't always speak up for themselves. And it's incumbent upon us as adults. Um, In fact, it's a moral abomination not to do it. If you're not going to stand up for kids, who are you going to stand up for? Explained my children had all gone to public school or were in public school. Um, I explained why it wasn't racist (laughs) to think this. Um, And then I took questions.
0: Why it was not racist to say open the schools? Who do you think bore the brunt of school closures in this country?
1: Low-income black and brown children,
0: totally in cities. Yeah, but it, but but you had to explain why it was <laughs> not racist.
1: <laughs> I know it's so dumb. It's hard to not it's, it's laugh. It's really, it's it really. Didn't, I couldn't yeah. laugh at the time because I knew it's my job kind of, was on the line. Yeah. But I now I laugh. It's okay. like so
0: dumb. So. um so, so, you did this little explanation tour via Zoom, 20 employees at a time or whatever. And then what happened?
1: Uh, it was a few hundred at a once. A few hundred at a time. Okay. The fine. other issue they made me talk about was my husband's views because he was more aggressive on some of the other issues. And so I had to be married to for, one of them. I was married to one of them. You can't be married to.
0: So, you can, only, can you not be one of them? Even if you are one of us, you can't be married to one of them.
1: Yeah you can't associate you mm-hmm. have to disconnect yeah, yeah it's like scientology you have yeah. to disconnect with anyone that doesn't uphold those views but I did not apologize, and in fact, the response was quite good. Cool. It, you know, I got a nice a few emails after saying I understand your view now. If I had children, I probably would do the same. And I was like, good. "Oh, whew. okay, maybe we're, we're coming also, out we're of this." Also,
0: bringing people, we're pers- engaging in persuasion, something we've lost in this country: open discourse.
1: Yeah, I can imagine
0: that being pretty heartening, actually. It,
1: it really was. I took, I heaved a sigh of relief. You know, yeah, it, and people even acknowledged in the meeting. You know. When you went on Ingram, I don't disagree with anything you said. I just disagree with choice the fact that you said it to her like I had a choice. You know, I had no choice. Yeah, but um, I think there's
0: no shame in. I mean, I, I, maybe I I'm biased because I go on I go Evening on, Fox all the time, and I'm proud of it, and I'm happy about that because you reach people and engage in dialogue, which we need more of in this country.
1: I I agree. I do the same, and I I mean, the other thing that's so dumb is you know the the, the assumption that you're talking to those people when you go on. I'm like, but you guys saw it.
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually kind of funny too so
1: anyway so i had a brief reprieve where it kind of quieted for a while and then it just kicked back up again a few weeks later what happened well at this point i had a little bit more of a following on social media so i had a few trolls um but none of it got traction. That's the crazy part. No, but
0: but what what caused it to kick up against? So I don't. The, you didn't say something different. I didn't. Was, okay. I was
1: very consistent. And then
0: there was just this new wave. And who and and just again, double click here. What does that mean? From like just forgive people the reality. I, I, yeah, of the yeah. Experience I mean, here.
1: inside the company, it meant a small group of employees were emailing the head of HR and my boss, the CEO. And saying we don't like what she's saying. Outside the company, there were a few um, cohorts or, you know, so there was this group of gymnastics fans that started calling the ethics hotline at my work to say she's an ethics violation. How? I was challenging public health guidelines, which meant I didn't care if people died. from the
0: gymnastics world.
1: Because they followed me. That's okay. uh,
0: yeah. yeah. There's there, no Very reason other
1: than they followed me. And then it, there and, were and, and others. So
0: then, and so then wh- how, did, how did it go down after that? Well, after that, at, at this
1: point, that, that first call, the head of CorpCom is set, is taking a dossier of the things that I say publicly in my tweets to the CEO, like on a weekly basis.
0: <laughs> okay. And then what happens though? I guess to get to the, where, where, where do they cut the cord?
1: In, uh, they asked to do a background check on me in October of 21 saying, oh, you could be CEO, but we need to do a background check on you and your husband. I said, this is going to be the thing that you use to get rid of me. You said it. I did. Mm
0: -hmm. And what did going say? I
1: said, it's going to be gray because at this point, sentiment had really shifted, but you're not going to want to put up with it. So this is how it's going to go down. I basically said, January 22, I got the call. You can't work here anymore. From HR. No, the my CEO boss, the you. CEO. Yeah,
0: what did he say? What did he tell you? What exactly did he? he tell said, you? He said
1: we finished the background check and there's not a path forward for you here. Mm-hmm. And I, he offered me severance. He offered me a million dollars. I didn't say anything on the phone. I, you know, I, I didn't say yes. I didn't say no. I said uh, okay. I wanted to get off the phone. Um, he and- said, we'll "Give
0: you a million to sign the separation release of claims and." Shut and up.
1: and don't talk about the up. terms of the separation. Exactly. Of course. And I know that how these was work. yeah, of course. That's always how it works. Yep. People challenge that that happened. It's always how it works. <laughs> um, I did not accept that. I resigned on February thirteenth, and then I publicly um, wrote a letter on Barry Wise's Substack explaining what had happened on the fourteenth.
0: And did you pursue legal action?
1: No, I don't want money. I just want freedom. <laughs> And I want to be able to talk with folks like you about the illiberalism and the censorship that's taken – it's gone from college campuses to um, corporate corporate America. Ins- yeah. corporate America. I think it's incredibly dangerous, and I just wanted to be able to talk about that.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for being as brave as you have been. You've made some real sacrifice. I often say this uh, in a different context. doesn't have to do with this one, but – You can make a sacrifice if you know what you're sacrificing for. I think it's part of what we've lost in this country is, you know, you use the word citizen. It stood out to me. It's a concept we've lost in modern American life, the ability to think of yourself as a citizen. But I think you have to know what sacrifices you're willing to make as a citizen. I think of you as somebody who's serving your country, actually. Living out the First Amendment, called the First Amendment for a reason. It's not just about protecting you from the government. It's about creating a culture in this country where citizens sort out their differences in opinion through free speech and open debate in the public square, not through the use of force, including even economic force or an economic sword of Damocles hanging over your head. To use self-interest as a cudgel, economic self-interest as a cudgel to get you to shut up. And you refused to. And you paid the price.
1: I did. And it's not easy, you know. Um, we, we,
0: and you, you were a high income earner, right? Even at the time, too.
1: Yeah, apparently not as high as some people in my in my equivalent role. So it's not like I don't need to get back to work. And I am the breadwinner in the family. I four kids. I got four kids. I got, you know, one in college, another just graduated. You know, I gotta yep. I gotta forge a path. This wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, I do Million
0: dollars is not something that's not. You know, s- I, I, I know a lot of billionaires wouldn't sniff at a million dollars they'd take for signing a piece of paper either. So
1: it, it would make my life much easier sure um, financially, but I wouldn't sacrifice my yeah. freedom. Can I just
0: can I just kind of um, go into one area though? Why not pursue legal action?
1: It's a good question, and I've certainly had moments where I'm like, maybe that was a bad
0: choice. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a final choice. I think this is just a couple years ago, well, still, right?
1: It is, but I quit. So at this point,
0: well, I, you know, you you're talking about hostile advice? workplace. I know. This can actually—I don't think you've closed the door on that at all. Actually,
1: it's possible, and I've had others advise me as such. I think it's a personal choice, though. Yeah. It is, and I'm not really interested in protracted legal action. It's never been my goal was to extract as much money from them as possible. I just wanted to leave and have the freedom. It's it's almost,
0: I I agree with you there. And I'm not, and this is a deeply personal choice. And I think being in litigation is unpleasant and you live life once. And so you want to think about how you use that life. The only thing I'll say in favor of it beyond the money, um, which is not what I had in mind when I was saying it is, You got to impose some cost on these guys. I mean, these guys are going mostly, I know you impose some PR cost on them, but if somebody doesn't make them pay for what they did, we can just expect even worse in the future.
1: I hear that perspective. I do. Um,
0: you have to draw the lines it's, of what sacrifice you've, you've already made enough of that, a sacrifice. And that, legal that, that is it. Hell. I didn't
1: want that to take over my life for the next two years. And, and it, it could. It would. Yep. And it would be ugly and painful. And I had, you know, the last two years at the company were difficult. You know, I always stood up and I had poise and I, it, but it was hard. You know, I just, it was emotionally difficult. I've lost all my friends. I mean, these people were my friends, I thought. Um, I was there 20 years. I, my life is unrecognizable from what it was. I don't have the city that I lived in. I don't have the company I worked in. I don't have the future that I would planned for myself. And so I wanted a clean break mm-hmm. for my life. And you're right. These people only listen, care about, think about money. That's the punishment that matters most. That's why what I did was so unfathomable to them because no one gives up money. Is it the same CEO still
0: in church? You know, I might – I might I, – I might pick up where you left off, not through legal action, but I just think someone needs to impose a social cost at the minimum on these people. I know you've done that. I'm just so taken by your story that, you know, as long as it's not going to cause hell for you, I mean, you've already been out there.
1: You can't, yeah.
0: What's the guy's name? Chip Berg. Chip Berg. What a coward. What a pathetic embodiment Of an American leader
1: is Chip Berg. This is a person This is an
0: opportunity. He could have had an opportunity to say that we're a company that actually stands for the daring, that stands for the American way, which is that anybody who wants gets to express their opinion so long as their neighbor doesn't return. That's what it means to wear a pair of Levi's and be daring and to go out into the American frontier. He missed—I mean, it's probably a business opportunity that he missed, but what a coward.
1: And this is a person— Military. Painting that brand. I agree. Military would consider himself this sort of like brave, decisive, courageous leader. Would he serve in the military?
0: Yes. So what? I know. You serve serve (laughs) in a military, you go through the motions, wear a uniform, serving out a hollowed out husk of the thing you're supposed to represent. That's not brave. I'm sorry. But
1: here is, here is, here is the thing and i'm sure you know this and have experienced it we ass- we make certain assumptions about leaders in this country that there are a high percentage of them that are courageous decisive i don't anymore i i don't at all it's a very low percentage and the longer they are in leadership the less they think for themselves they look left and right they get their talking points from corpcom legal or hr they don't even know what they think anymore and they were all telling him this is really bad i got what's two-
0: his name what chip Burke. chip Berg. Charles V. Berg. Charles V. Berg. You're an American coward. You had an opportunity to actually serve your country. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you put on a uniform and served like tens of thousands of Americans do every year in the military. But what is the point of fighting or preparing to fight if you lose the very thing you're fighting for? And I'm not asking you, to make a sacrifice as a job, as a CEO, I'm asking you to wake up to the opportunity that's hiding in front of you as a CEO, that there's 100 plus million Americans just like Jennifer, okay, who agree with what she has to say, who history has vindicated, actually, what she had to say, who could have rallied behind you and your now pathetic brand to actually get behind making your company more successful, people who would have come to work for you with an allegiance that goes beyond what you're going to get out of them just because you write their paycheck and sign their paycheck, that is the opportunity you missed as a capitalist. But in your capacity as a citizen, you also actually showed this country and the next generation of Americans what not to be, what not to aspire to. The fact that you think you live the American dream becoming a CEO of a company is actually a is actually a farce that makes a comedy of the American dream when the person who achieves that height only gets there in order to actually have a piece of tape over their mouth, handcuffs over their hands. You don't have to have physical handcuffs and be locked up to live a life of enslavement. You're enslaved, but you're teaching other Americans that you know what people like Jennifer, who are brave enough to speak up, get enslaved by people like you too. Shame on you. Shame on what you're teaching the next generation of Americans. And I hope you actually learn from your own experience to be able to talk about your cowardice in the open. And when you do, I will praise you for it. I hope you do at some point, because until then, you're a pathetic example of what actually creates the problem in our country. And I hope you either stand up or step aside, not just from Levi's, but from any position of leadership in this country, because we don't have room for more leaders like you. People like you need to step aside so the real leaders are actually able to step up and deliver our culture. That's what you need to hear. And I'm sorry. It's not a personal insult to you. It is just a statement of truth.
1: It would have been so easy. Imagine it goes like this. He stands up. Some of you are upset with things that Jen is saying outside of work. That's fine. She gets to say them. She's a citizen. You can stand up for what you care about. As a citizen. As a citizen. Now let's get back to work. Can we please just get back to work? Let's focus on this great brand. We're emerging from difficult business conditions during COVID. We got to focus on great product, great marketing, discipline, financial management. That's what we're going to spend our time on. And we're not going to talk about this anymore. How is that hard?
0: No, that's natural. It's the American way. It's actually actually something that can be unifying. Uh, Exactly. I mean, I think that this culture is actually divisive. It's a big part of what's wrong with it. You know, Tocqueville, he traveled this country 160 some odd years ago, whatever it was, and he made an interesting observation. He said that a diverse democracy is not supposed to survive more than a generation. It's supposed to crumble under the weight of its own division unless there are certain apolitical spaces that can bind us together across those divisions. He called them intermediary or intermediating institutions. Capitalism is high on that list, right? So so people think of capitalism, I had a conversation with someone else this morning about Adam Smith and Joseph Schumpeter. And yes, capitalism is the best known system known to mankind to lift people up from poverty. I, I agree with that. I embrace it. We all know that to be true. But the secret role that capitalism plays in a diverse democracy is that it is also one of these apolitical sanctuaries where we're able to come together, man or woman, black or white, Democrat or Republican, Elizabeth Warren supporter or Joe Biden supporter, the spectrum of what might've been acceptable in San Francisco at the time. But we can come together and, and create things together, build things together, sell things, market things, invent things together in common cause. And when that itself becomes politicized, That's really the beginning of the end as we know it, right? You wonder why people, you tell, I I sometimes say this, you tell people they can't speak, that's when they scream. You tell people they can't scream, that is when they tear things down. That's right. Because you know what else happened during that same period? It was January 6th, 2021. Yep. You can point your finger to the other, one of them all you want. Look in the mirror and ask yourself what role this guy Chip or whatever his name is, is joker, what's his name? Chip Berg. Chip Berg, whatever it is, look yourself in the mirror, ask yourself what role you played in that attack on the Capitol. I think people like you actually get to have the luxury of pointing the finger at the other without actually looking inside and asking yourself what responsibility you bear for not only what came, but that's a friendly parley compared to what's to come if we don't turn this culture around.
1: Well, yeah, if you demonize half of the citizenry and you, I mean, that's part of the problem is the geographic distribution. I mean, it, it, in San Francisco, left of left of left of center, bluest city and the bluest state, these people that were telling me to stop, they didn't know a single person besides me Mm -hmm. that said these things, it was easy to say, oh, she's a Trumper. That's what they called me. And, you know, public meetings, my boss called me a Trumper knowing full well, that that was a lie, but that is just, if you violate- My first Elizabeth
0: Warren support on this podcast, so that's great. If
1: you, if you violate one tenet of the, the the party, the orthodoxy, then you get associated with all the other things. So I was called QAnon, which I had to look up, which I don't even think yeah, is real is to that? this day. Exactly. I think it's just like, a I made up. I, I mean,
0: sometimes somebody called me that very recently. I'm just like, There's like four I'm still people. i confused you know, what, that, what that exactly means.
1: There, I think it's yeah, fallen out of favor, but yeah. all those things, I was anti-trans, I was anti-everything, I was a racist- even though two of my children are mixed race, it doesn't matter. The arc of your life doesn't matter. You get demonized and the ad hominems, as you know, are the purview of those with no argument. But it works because it keeps others quiet. No one wanted to go endure what I was enduring. People are right to be scared. But my message is... We are the majority, people who have common sense, who can see a lie for what it is, who would like us to get back to some degree of open debate and dissent in this country. And if 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 we all stood together, I really think that's most
0: people. That is most people in this country. And I, and I think that we can – I think most people th- agree with what you just said. I think most people think their neighbors and their colleagues agree with what you just said, but they can't be sure anymore because you're not allowed to talk about it. And so once we start talking openly again, what do we realize? We realize that we actually share these values in common, which is the whole bet and premise of of my campaign for president, is that, you know what, we can actually, I think that could be the subject of a landslide election in 1980 style, 1984 style, let it be 2024 style. That could be the single most unifying thing we do for the country. And I am optimistic that people are so hungry with this pent up sense of suppression. They're hungry for a revival, but it's not going to happen automatically it's going to happen because people like you, frankly, are willing to make the sacrifices needed to get there.
1: You know, I, I, I yeah, not to sort of overly put myself on a pedestal because there's a lot like me, but people, someone has to go first and you have to kind of puncture the, the bubble or the delusion and then slowly people will join you. That's what happened to me in the world of sport and I held that close, but it took 10 years in gymnastics and I... You know, I couldn't beat the clock in this case. I thought people are going to come around on the school closures. And, you know, ironically, the day after I resigned publicly, three members of the San Francisco Board of Education were recalled decisively. Seventy to seventy five percent of San Francisco showed up and voted to recall these people because they did not open the schools.
0: I think shareholders or Levi's need to come back and recall. You know, Chip, our our Joker CEO. But they
1: agreed with me Mm -hmm. if they'd come to the rallies. That's right. That's right. That's right. But they were too afraid to do it publicly. They did it at the ballot box. We need people to come out and and do it publicly. I think they're going
0: to soon. I'm optimistic that's going to, uh, that we're on the cusp of that. I think 2024 can be a referendum on this culture of fear.
1: I agree with you. And I think, you know, what I tell people is just defend your neighbor's right to say a thing. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to agree with them.
0: Because, you know what you're actually fighting for. You're not fighting for your neighbor. That's right. You're fighting for yourself.
1: That's right. If they
0: can that's do it right. it to them. They can do if they can do it to them today. They can do it to you tomorrow.
1: and they will. And that's yeah. no and one's will. pure enough. And they will
0: exactly. No the one's French victim revolution enough. Left, <laughs> left no left no one untouched. Right, and so that's that's a lesson of history. But I think that we are now learning that lesson of history in in our own country.
1: Yeah, and, and, I, and
0: you know, I, I I'm optimistic. It's not going to happen automatically. But I think if we have leaders who are willing to step up, I think that we're hopefully on the cusp of graduating from this weird adolescence we've gone through as a country.
1: I think so. I I think cusp might be still a little bit of time, but I think people are getting tired of, you know, being forced to pretend a lie is true, not even to be able to question it. I mean, you mentioned the lab leak, but like the everyone knew If you had any sense that closed schools were going to be harmful for children, there's no seeing it any other way. And and yet it could not be uttered. You know, uh, the the lies abound. I mean, I could step outside of covid and the the schools narrative and the lockdown and the lab leak narrative. I mean, everybody knows. Let's go to the body positivity movement for a second. (laughs) Fraught also. I'm sorry. Everybody knows it's not healthy to be morbidly obese. Mm -hmm. It is not healthy to be 400, 500 pounds. You are not a bad person. You are a good person. You have value, what you think matters, but you can't talk about the fact that that is unhealthy. It is considered fat phobic. And in fact, you know, that was another thing I got in trouble for. I would say, you know, obesity is linked to poor health outcomes from COVID, among other things, Mm -hmm. and creates all these other health issues. Why doesn't the CDC, why doesn't the government do a get healthy campaign? Get out, get exercise, get sunshine. Instead of locking yourself inside and eat better, we would have saved a lot more lives. Yep, That made me a fat phobe.
0: I mean, I think that part of the reason is that you were already wrapped up in this other fraught debate. Part of the reason is that becomes the next frontier. It's a lot of what's going on in the trans movement where- we can't have empathy for a kid who's going through some difficulty because as soon as they've uttered the magic words, then you're transphobic if you actually have empathy for the real thing that you could have helped them on, but you can't anymore because of your own self-interested fear as an adult. Yeah. And we, transphobic, we, same story.
1: Y- y- yes, of course. And y- 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 that whole... Arena around gender ideology is also founded on a lie that there is no biological difference between the genders, where between the sexes, we everybody knows that there is. But in the uh, oppression hierarchy, trans folks fall lowest; they are the most victimized, and so their rights
0: according to the movement have to, to try most victimized I, I think the way that, <laughs> that hierarchy works today is actually it's inverse it's in terms of who the, actually wields social the power the most power which yeah. is
1: why when you take it to the arena of sport women's sports which were protected created through title protected through title IX for a real reason mm-hmm. that doesn't matter anymore
0: mm-hmm. yeah but so it's sort of a and it relieves the religi- religiosity in terms of this, i point out i mean yeah, this is a side current but the, the on one hand, you have you you have to abide by the orthodoxy that the sex of the person you're attracted to is hardwired on the day you're born. At the same time, you're asked to believe that your own biological sex can be completely fluid over the course of your own lifetime. Right? These two things can't make sense at the same time. And yet with very little variation, you have to be able to espouse both of those convictions at the same time to be still within the modern acceptable Although you know, window. Although now
1: it's... I think it's also to address your first point, considered anti-trans if you are a um straight male that doesn't want to date a trans That's female. actually very
0: new, actually, That's which, new. which is different than the entire yeah. premise for classifying gay rights to civil rights. Yeah. Which was there's
1: a lot it, of a logic yeah, in the whole yeah. thing. I but mean if,
0: but that reveals the ridiculous I mean, quality gen- of it.
1: If 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 gender is a construct and it's how you feel, why do you need any life? body-altering
0: surgeries, just say you oh, that, are. That's the contradiction at the heart of it, which is actually puts put pressure on also, you know, the fact that you can't be feminine without having physically, outwardly feminine qualities. It's like the kind of thing that that, that would have irked, yeah, exactly, irked a, you know, feminist... Me. Maybe you, maybe 10, 20 years ago. I don't know. My, probably my wife feels the same way, that you can be a woman any way you know how. And the trans movement says, no, you can only do it by having... A body shape and lips of a certain shape and a voice of a certain type.
1: And not only that, if you have those behaviors as a young boy, you must be a girl.
0: Yeah. You can't
1: be a boy with feminine.
0: That's right. Which which reinforces the very gender stereotypes that I thought
1: women's rights activists were. Exactly. Yeah. It melts my brain if I go around it too much. But um, yeah. Anyway. I gotta
0: say, I'm really, um, I'm personally empathetic. To your story. I, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, but so I didn't, you know, spend most. I didn't, you know, report into someone for most of my career. I started my career as an investment analyst at a hedge fund, so I had a boss then, and I learned early on that I didn't do too well with having a boss. But you know, I think that it's not, um, it's not specific to a corporate hierarchy. The cult, the deeper cultural problem. I uh, did. Did you ever? Did you ever come across I wrote Woke Ink. Um, you you did you read the book? Yeah. Yeah. So you know my story, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I think I had. It was, bottom line is a very similar, very similar experience. Uh, you know, except this time I was a CEO of a company. You know, Black Lives Matter movement kicks off on the streets of this country following the tragic death death of George Floyd. There was demand in the ether it wasn't by any one person right i'm running the company but from employees from people on the outside nebulous stakeholders the public peers fellow ceos to come out and make a statement in support of black lives matter something that i couldn't do in good conscience i you know it's call at the time for decimating the nuclear family structure there's a lot i, I just couldn't get behind personally but that was the one thing that was acceptable to say as opposed to what I ended up saying was, let's focus on the mission of our company. There's a lot of strife in the world, and we can make the world better through the medicines that we develop, which I'm proud of. That wasn't good enough. It didn't meet the moment and led to a journey where advisors to my company, six months later, step off prominently and ceremoniously after I write in my personal capacity against the very same situation as you. I was a former law student. I went to law school. I wrote with a former law professor about the ways that technology companies, when they engage in Online censorship, if they're doing so at behest of the government, might be running afoul of the First Amendment. I mean, like relatively abstruse legal yeah. academic theories at the time. And that was a basis for prominent advice from my company stepping aside. So, in my case, there was no uh, you know, threat from on high. I could have could have just stayed in that position, but but functionally, there's no doubt it would have had an adverse impact on my company. This is sure. the biotech industry. Even though I wasn't actually using my own corporate seat to do it, like Mark Benioff at Salesforce or whatever does, they're in the habit of doing it through their company. I'm not doing that, but in my capacity as a citizen, which is different from my capacity as a capitalist, expressing certain viewpoints, made the decision to separate my voice as a CEO from my voice as a citizen by not being a CEO anymore. And I have to admit, it was liberating, actually. It was liberating. Now – I guess that's easy for me to say because I guess I'm not in a position to have to worry about me or my kids or whatever putting food on the dinner table. It's probably part of what gave me a sense of obligation to make sure I did it. Um, There's a a bittersweetness about it, but it was – the thing that matters most to me at least as a human being is – sounds like to you too is Freedom yeah be my own man being, it is being your, your own woman
1: it is freeing you know I have no employer to mind I can say whatever I think people don't come after me anymore because they can't take anything really from me anymore and I you know I reside somewhere in the middle between probably you know financially where you are and where sort of a workaday employee who doesn't have much savings I have a nest egg I can't not work for the rest of my life I got to figure it out I got it but I'm going to chart my, I am not going to shackle myself (laughs) again. Not that anyone who wanted to control my voice would hire me because they, that it's been, it become very clear. That's probably not going to happen. Um, so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. But I, I think there are companies out there that do want brave, courageous leaders who speak in their own voice and, you know, come find me. I'm here. In the meantime, I'll, I'll, I'll do my own thing. And the freedom is that's what I wanted. That's what I got. I, it mattered more to me than financial security. It just did. It seemed too important. Um, I, if we all commit uh, to furthering lies, we, we, we commit in exchange for our own safety, then we don't live in a democracy anymore. Mm-hmm. And that to me just seemed too, too dangerous. And I will give up some of my own financial security to be part of that conversation.
0: I hope you'll be rewarded in spades. I don't know. If- I don't know if that's how the world works. I I would like to think it is. I'm running for president to make sure that our country is a place where courage can be as contagious as fear has been for the last couple of years. But I'll say this. We talk a lot about the American dream, or we used to at least in this country, the idea that no matter who you are or where you came from or what your skin color is, that you can achieve anything with your own hard work and commitment and dedication – I hope that dream is revived once again, and if it is, I have no doubt that you and people like you will achieve everything you ever want to, but to me, it's also part of the American dream to say that, you know what, you're also free to speak your mind at every step of the way, and that no American should be forced to choose between speaking their mind freely and putting food on the dinner table, between that American dream and the First Amendment. That is the new American dream, and I'm— Optimistic that we can revive it, but it's not going to happen automatically. It's going to happen because we make it so.
1: It's going to happen. It's going to be a fight. Look, I think that um, most people would rather stand with the group and take cover in the group and feel the safety of the group. And guess what? Feel morally virtuous. For touting the group's mantras, right? Whether right. it's the summer of 2020 or whether it's COVID, everybody stay home to say stay for whatever. Most people, and I think this is true across geographies, across time, plenty of experiments have proven this out. You know, most people will obey authority and stand with the group, stand for prison experiment, Milgram Experiment. We've seen it. Um, but if enough people advocate like we can make standing with the group standing for free speech <laughs> that's the goal right is that we we bring people out we bring them forward and 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 they want to defend freedom and not mock freedom again i mean you remember in we 2020 we it. but people were mocking it it was freedom really this is the premise this oh, really, country I was that maybe
0: it was a california thing. oh yeah, you yeah, didn't yeah. hear it but but i but I, but it, it eventually the culture was operating in a way as though that were true, anyway.
1: Yeah, the free, dumb people were the people who cared about speech, who cared about freedom of religion and being able to worship, sending their kids to um, to school, and, and you know, we were being offered safety in exchange for our freedom, and that was not a deal I was willing to make. But it's alarming how many people are, and yet I came to realize. It's not alarming. That has happened since the beginning of time, and so we have to fight for it. And someone has to go first. And eventually, you can make that the cool thing to stand for, and everybody
0: will want to stand. I think stand so too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, I think I think you might give more of an inspiration to young Americans than than our friend Chip, um, because you know I think young people actually they want to stand up to the system, stand up to the man. And maybe twenty years ago, that was being woke. Today, you want to stand up to the system, try actually doing what you did. And you know, say what you're not allowed to say in the in the presence of polite company. And the thing you probably realize is that you weren't actually the only one who believed what you did. And you know, I think if we're if people are willing to take that bet, I think we have a lot of pleasant surprises we might discover on the other side.
1: I think so too. We need to keep going.
0: Well, thanks for coming out, Jeff. Thanks I appreciate for having it. me. It good to, yeah, yeah. Good to nice to meet you, meet you in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been following you, so it's cool to have you. I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Vivek 2024.